Well, today is Pentecost Sunday. Following his resurrection, Jesus instructed his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for what he called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2, which Eric just read for us, records the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The disciples are all together in one place, and, and a mighty rushing wind fills the house, and tongues of fire descend upon each of the disciples, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are told the exact day on which this took place, it was the day of Pentecost. Now, when modern Christians hear the word Pentecost, we we either think of Pentecostals or we think of Acts chapter 2. For us, Pentecost is a synonym for the birthday of the church. But Acts chapter 2 does not actually record the first Pentecost. Because Pentecost was an Israelite feast long before it was a Christian feast. Pentecost was a festival ordained by God back in the time of Moses. So by the time we we get to the New Testament, the people of God have already observed hundreds and hundreds of Pentecosts. So for the disciples, the word Pentecost already had meaning. It already had meaning. And so today we're going to explore what that meaning was. And that brings us to everyone's favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. Chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Leviticus 23 gives us a list of divinely ordained feasts. We see God taking a special interest in the calendar of his people. He is appointing specific days and specific seasons for his people to feast with him. God is prioritizing the cultivation of an intimate relationship with his people. Evidently, God thinks that cyclical and repetitive rituals and feasts are good for the spiritual formation of his people. And by the way, this is why we still have a calendar today. This is why the church follows a liturgical calendar. Christianity is not a religion based merely upon abstract truth or good ideas. The redemptive work of God in the world... what we call the gospel, is inescapably tied to real human history. Jesus was not just an idea. Jesus was a real human being. He was born in Bethlehem to a first century Jewish couple. He lived in the days of Emperor Augustus and King Herod and Pontius Pilate, and all these people are historical figures. And so the gospel is more than just a true idea. The gospel is historical record. And the the church's calendar is meant to organize our corporate life around that historical record. It's also worth pointing out that the life of Jesus was itself organized around the calendar laid out in Leviticus 23. 
The key events of the life of Jesus were themselves happening in accordance with the specific days and specific seasons of the Jewish calendar. You may have noticed that that the four gospel accounts make a point to tell us when Jesus did something on the Sabbath or during a particular feast. He offered living water during the Feast of Booths. He was crucified on the Feast of Passover. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He was resurrected on the Feast of First Fruits. And he sent the Holy Spirit on the Feast of Pentecost. So if you think about it, the most, the most consequential days in the history of the world, in the history of the world, have, have all occurred on days appointed in Leviticus 23. Now, I'm going, to move, I'm going to move pretty quickly through these opening verses, but I put a chart in the back of your bulletin, um, super fun for you, uh, to help you follow along if you so desire. All right. The first feast appointed by God was Passover, which took place on the 14th day of the first month. The first month is not January. That's a, that's a different conversation. 14th day of the first month. So on the feast of Passover, the people of God were to reenact the original Passover back in Egypt, in which a lamb was slain to deliver them. The second feast appointed by God was the feast of unleavened bread. That began the day after Passover. On the feast of unleavened bread, all of the old leaven was purged out, which symbolized a fresh start. The third feast appointed by God was the Feast of Firstfruits, which began the Sunday after Passover. The Feast of Firstfruits, as, as the name suggests, is a springtime festival that marked the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay, so notice, the first three feasts were all held in the span of three days. Passover, unleavened bread, and firstfruits. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But the fourth feast was a full seven weeks later. Verse 15. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So the fourth feast appointed by God was to be held 50 days after the Feast of Firstfruits. And this feast was called the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Feast of Harvest, also known as the Feast of Pentecost. The word Pentecost is just Greek for 50th, 50 days after the Feast of Firstfruits. And long before Jesus was born, Jewish rabbis had come to associate the Feast of Pentecost, with the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Based on the dates that we are given in the book of Exodus, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai would have taken place on nearly the same day, if not the same day, as the Feast of Pentecost. And and that association is is very significant when we come to Acts chapter 2. Just as the law descended from Mount Sinai to the people, so the Spirit of God descends to the people. 
The law was inscribed on tablets of stone back in the Exodus, but it's now inscribed on the hearts of people in Acts chapter 2. When Moses descended with those stone tablets, he found the people worshiping a golden calf, and 3,000 people were cut down with the sword that day. Well, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit descends, 3,000 people are cut to the heart, it says, and baptized. And so the details in Acts chapter 2 are inviting us to compare and contrast the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And this is in keeping with long-standing rabbinic tradition. But there's another key connection to notice, and it has to do with the number 50. It's a significant number in the Bible. Specifically, we're invited to, to recognize the link with the year of Jubilee, which was to take place every 50 years. And, and Jubilee was all about justice, biblical justice. And this suggests that there there ought to be a strong connection between the Feast of Pentecost and biblical justice. Love and compassion for the weak and the poor and the sojourner and, and the vulnerable and so on. And we actually see that that link expressed in Leviticus 23. This is verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. So, as God commands the people of Israel to keep the Feast of Pentecost, he also makes a point to remind them that the harvest belongs also to the poor and to the sojourner. Israelite landowners were not permitted to maximize their profits. Everyone was to share in the abundance God provided. And again, this is very significant because we see the same emphasis in Acts chapter 2. All who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The link there is, is no coincidence. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit falls and Peter preaches and 3,000 people are baptized and having, having observed all of these things, the disciples knew exactly what to do next. They knew from the scriptures and from centuries and centuries of tradition that Pentecost demands generosity and care for the poor. Pentecost is about the renewal of human society. We'll come back to that idea here in a minute. But let's move on to verses 16 through 21. All right, at first glance, these verses are, let's admit it, pretty boring. Most people just skip over passages like this. The people are instructed to present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord, to bring from their dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven, as first fruits to the Lord. And they shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And they shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. I'll, I'll stop there. Again, for modern readers, 
This is not the most exciting passage of Scripture. But, as you might have guessed, there is a lot of meaning packed into these details. And I, I, I want to point out just one thing. Verse 17. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven. That's interesting. During the, feast, uh, during the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Israelites were prohibited from baking with leaven. And now, 50 days later, the Israelites are commanded to bake with leaven. What changed? Well, perhaps you've heard it said that leaven symbolizes sin. Um, but, but the Bible is actually more ambiguous than that when it comes to leaven. Sometimes leaven is a negative thing and sometimes leaven is a positive thing. And so I think it's more accurate to say that leaven symbolizes influence. Because influence can be negative or positive, positive or negative. As the people of Israel are leaving the land of Egypt, so Passover and unleavened bread, as they are leaving the land of Egypt, God wants them to sever their ties with Egyptian influence, to purge out the old leaven, Egyptian politics, Egyptian religion, Egyptian customs. Again, the feast of unleavened bread represents a fresh start for them. They are purging out Egyptian influence. But the Feast of Pentecost, on the other hand, is not about leaving influence behind. The Feast of Pentecost is about being an influence. On the one hand, we are to be an unleavened people, meaning we do not allow ourselves to be conformed to the patterns of this world, as Paul puts it. But on the other hand, we are to be a leavened and leavening people, meaning we positively influence the world for Christ. We don't want to be leavened by the world, but we do want to leaven the world. And notice in verse 17, this begins in your household. The leaven of Pentecost was to be brought from each dwelling place, each family unit was to bring bread from home to the sanctuary. Meaning, Pentecost doesn't just happen in the sanctuary. Pentecost begins in your home. Your everyday life is the true venue for Pentecostal influence. Your everyday life will be the means by which the world is leavened with the gospel. So Christ, our Passover, Christ is our Passover lamb. He has purged out the old leaven. That's feast one, feast two, right? Christ has risen as the first fruits of a new creation, feast three. And the great harvest has begun, feast four. The great harvest has begun and you are the laborers. When you love your neighbor, when you care for the poor and the sojourner, the orphan and the widow, when you open your home, when you show to others the hospitality God has shown toward you, 
when you love one another here in this room with, with familial affection, you are leavening the world. I don't care if you don't see it that way. It's what you're doing. You are leavening the world. Your everyday life is the true venue for Pentecostal influence. Your everyday life is the means by which the world is leavened with the gospel. The means by which the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom of Christ. So be filled with the Holy Spirit today and go leaven the world. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, We thank you for taking that special interest in our world, in the affairs of mankind, for continuing to pursue an, an intimate relationship with us even as we were rebelling and running against you. Jesus, our great Passover lamb, the first fruits from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection, we praise you. And Holy Spirit, fill us today. Fill us once again. Revive us today. Leaven us. And then leaven the world through us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.